0: What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data and information in one AI powered place, grow your business in Slack, visit slack.com to get started. There is a tension between profit and purpose because those two things sometimes compete with one another. And and what we talk about is there's a power in and, profit and purpose, but we have to embrace the fact that if you wanted to just focus on profit, you would cut out a lot of the things we do to support our purpose. But if you really look at it holistically, it's because of our purpose that we are going to engage and inspire a community of people who wanna be a part of this. And they're gonna put their heart and soul into it. And they're gonna deliver an experience that's gonna engage our customers. Over time, as our customers come to understand, we are a lot more than just a pizza place.
1: I'm Christine Lagorio Chafkin, and you're listening to What I Know from Inc. Magazine. Today's episode, Managing the Tension. Lots of businesses these days have a social mission, whether it's community building, bolstering social justice, fostering environmental sustainability, or something else entirely. But in an age where consumerism is so trend-driven, it's not every day that you see a business sacrifice real profits for the sake of their social mission. One company trying hard to take this tact is Mod Pizza, a fast casual restaurant chain with nearly 500 locations across North America. I spoke with co-founder, chairman and CEO, Scott Svensson about his company's social mission, which is an admirably understated one. If you've heard of Mod, you may not even know why it was founded and on what principles it runs. Scott and I spoke about the purpose behind his company's existence and balancing that motivating mission with fiscal sustainability. He uses a tactic he calls managing the tension. We also talked about COVID-19's intense effects on the restaurant and food service industry and how to lead through this crisis. We here at What I Know will be spending the next three episodes this whole month talking to founders in the food service space, from restaurateurs to a cupcake pioneer to the famous entrepreneur behind one of the country's biggest grocery stores. But before I asked Scott about his mission or the pandemic's effects on business, I wanted to know what drove him to entrepreneurship in the first place.
0: To be honest, early in my career, uh, financial security was a really uh, primary driver of uh, my professional life. Um, and over the years, as, as uh, my wife and I, who's been my life partner and business partner from the beginning, as we, uh, progressed, uh, and, and had some success, one of the things we realized was where our gratification, um, contentment and happiness came from. And it, it wasn't from the financial wins. It was from a lot of the uh, psychic reward associated with building a business, changing people's lives and, and making a positive impact. Uh, those were the things that we got real joy from. And therefore those were the things that we really doubled down on. And, uh, that it, and we explored doing that in multiple ways and just kept coming back to this idea that what we know how to do and what we're reasonably good at doing is starting and building businesses. So let's use that as our canvas or as our platform uh, to try to make a positive social impact.
1: That's great. And what, what does the social impact mean to you? Um, I want to talk more about this in depth later, but, but just in the basic sense, what good were you doing and what, what greater good did you want to accomplish?
0: Well, so it's interesting when, when we built Seattle Coffee Company and then Carluccio's, which was another concept in the UK that we helped to build our motivations and our purpose were very different. When we, when we got to mod, we said at the outset that we wanted it to be about our people. Uh, you know, we, we joke that, yes, we love our pizza and our pizza is in our name, but what good is pizza without people? Um, and, and we, we really were focused on how could we use this platform of pizza restaurants and communities across the United States to make a difference in people's lives. And it was actually through that lens that we then brought a bunch of people on board and said, here's our hope. Here's our North star. Help us figure out how to bring that to life. How does that manifest itself in terms of kind of a specific uh, purpose? And, and what happened was it emerged very quickly that in our industry, there are a lot of people who suffer from barriers to employment. Um, people who have made mistakes possibly or have had difficulties or challenges. And as a result, society in some ways has kind of turned their back on them. And our insight early on was, well, what happens if we were to give those people a fresh start or a second chance? And what we found was, one, there are a huge population of people in those categories who are wonderful people. And when you understand their stories, might have made a legitimate decision. honest mistake in their past and then the cards started to get stacked against them. But when you gave them an opportunity, man, they showed up and they were loyal and they were passionate and it became very gratifying. And as a result, this was something we just kept leaning further and further into. And so the purpose is kind of emerged and, um, and developed over time. It was not, we didn't have a grand plan going into it with a, with a specific strategy. We had a general direction, which the team took, and and built on, and um, the the purpose has really emerged from within the team.
1: That's great. We'll talk more about that soon. But let's let's first rewind um, to maybe your early years before you even got into business. Was there? I love asking this question. Was there anything in your early life um, that perhaps in hindsight seemed to contribute to your path to entrepreneurship?
0: Yeah, there are a lot of things. I was very fortunate. I I grew up in a in a family with parents who were very supportive. You know, I'm a big believer in the growth mindset. You know, take risks, make mistakes, and learn from them. And and my folks kind of really encouraged that. I would say that if I had to point to one moment or one um, experience, it was when I was in high school. I was an athlete, um, and I I played on a football team in my high school with a bunch of people I grew up with for years, and we were all a fairly competent group of athletes, but we didn't have any superstars. But we decided leading into our senior year that we were really gonna devote ourselves to working out a lot in the off season and committing to doing all the work um, to prepare to try to have a good year. And and what ended up happening is, despite um, all expectations, we ended up emerging as a great team and winning a state championship. And it was one of those moments where we were the ones in the headlines in the sports page. We always read about those other people. And it was one of those realizations that, well, if you commit yourself to something, you can, do, you can accomplish anything you want. And um, the people who you're reading about could be you if you just devoted yourself to it. There are no, um, there are no ceilings there, you know. That, that, that was a very empowering moment in my early childhood when I was in high school that basically said, if I apply myself to something, I can accomplish anything I set out to accomplish.
1: And then many years later, after you entered the business world and succeeded there, you started Seattle Coffee Company. Can you tell me how that company came about? What were what were the kind of first seeds of it? And how did you start to grow it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had been working in New York and was given an opportunity to move with the company I, I work with to London. And this was at a time when Allie, uh, my wife, we'd been dating since high school. Uh, We were not married yet. She was in Seattle. I moved to London. And I then had to work very hard to convince her to move to London with me. And after about a year, she did. When she landed in London, um, within the first week or two, she identified a long list of things that England really needed that they didn't have. And at the very top of the list was a Starbucks-style quality coffee experience. And that kicked off a three or four year journey of us, frankly, complaining about it, exploring it, talking to friends about it. And uh, we reached a point where some friends finally said, you and Allie have been talking about this for a long time. You should either do something about it or just shut up. And we uh, that, that started a process where we said, okay, if that's the case, then you got to do it with us. And so we um, started a process of, of pulling together to open one Starbucks style, Seattle coffee, Seattle style coffee shop in London. Allie really took the lead. It was really her inspiration and uh, and grit. And, and uh, so we opened one store. Uh, it went incredibly well. So we opened three more and then it just started to kind of blossom from there. And uh, over a two year period, we opened 65 Seattle coffee company locations in London. And then we're thinking about going public actually, and Starbucks approached us. And um, that's when we decided to, as opposed to going public, working with the company that was our original inspiration. And we always looked up to and admired uh, and ended up partnering with them and selling the company to them.
1: And you stayed on for a few years, right?
0: I did. After uh, we sold the company, I became um, head of the UK and then of Europe for for Starbucks and helped them put in place a strategy to take Starbucks into Europe. and. It was a fabulous experience. It was a great opportunity to start working inside of a company that I had looked up to and admired for so many years and, and really learn what it, what it was like to work in a company that was so much larger. And, um, and I, most importantly, we made some incredible friends, some people that we admired and grew to love, and they have been a part of our journey ever since. We have a, a lot of Starbucks blood that is flowing through Maud, um, and, and it's a byproduct of those experiences.
1: Yeah. And, and after that, you founded you helped found another company called Carluccio's, which you would mentioned. What is what, what's your most fun, like startupy memory from those first two companies? You know, there's often just so much just sweat that goes sweat equity that goes into the first few years of starting up. Do you have any particular memories that, that you love to think back on?
0: Yeah, gosh, there's so many. And as you said that, you know, these journeys are just filled with these moments that uh, you look back on and, and I'd say the, probably the most gratifying, and there are a lot of them. So um, was when we decided to sell our coffee business, Seattle coffee company to Starbucks. And we had this uh, event where we brought our team together and Howard Bihar, one of the great leaders from Starbucks was there in London and we presented to the team and explained what we were doing. Um, And afterwards, just these moments of connection with these people who had helped us, uh, these young entrepreneurial dynamic people who'd helped us build this company. And we were very progressive at, at allocating equity to as many people in the organization as we could. And, and um, there was one young man named Rob Ford, this young dynamic individual who was uh, on our training team. And he came up to me with tears in his eyes and it was his realization that he he was, a part of this journey, because he loved our culture, he loved our mission, and he was having fun. But then we got to this moment where, because of it, he was able to um, buy a home for he and his wife, and they were going to have, she was pregnant, they were going to have a child. And just this moment of, yes, we did this because it was fun, and it was it was successful, but it had a profound impact on his life. Um, and that story was replicated over and over again. Um, and so it gets back to what is that motivation I, I will tell you that the impact of the bank account it did change our life but i'll tell you it's the story of rob and the impact it had on his life and so many people like him were the things that we carried with us and the stories that that were so gratifying and and as i continue on my journey in life those are the things that I'll, I'll look back on and we'll, they'll put a smile on my face whether or not there was another zero on the number will not have any impact but it's the it's the that's that was those lessons are the things that led us to really leaning in to building mod the way we are, because if you get it right and you make a difference in people's lives, those stories are the things that just uh, you, you can't put a price on.
1: Yeah. How many employees at that time had significant equity that, you know, life changing equity in the company?
0: Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, at the time we sold, we had uh, about 75 stores. I think we had um, about a thousand employees. Um and, uh, I would say at least 150 of those people had equity and, and, some of which was, was more modest, but I would say at least hundred of those people had sufficient equity to, to change the, their life, whether or not it meant that they had a down payment for a home or more significantly, it was, um, it was, it was gratifying that their hard work and passion and commitment was paid back in many ways, psychic returns and financial returns.
1: Absolutely. Now, let me ask sort of the opposite question: What do you wish you could do over from those early years?
0: Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, Well, I'll I'll tell you. I'll put it this way: When uh, we built Seattle Coffee Company, um, I think of building a great business as having three legs to a stool. You need a great business, you need a strong culture, and I believe you need a really strong purpose or or Answer to the question, why do we exist? What difference are we going to make in the world? And if you get it right, those things will be mutually reinforcing. Early in our careers, Ali and I, we, we joked that um, when we built Seattle Coffee Company, failure was not an option because we'd put all of our eggs in one basket. And if that basket broke, we were in trouble. And so we focused on the business and the culture. We didn't feel we had the, uh, the capacity or the ability to focus on really embedding a strong purpose into the organization, other than building a great business, taking care of our people uh, culturally. And that's, I think that's very worthy, but we didn't go that next step because we just, we were fearful and we felt that we didn't have, um, we didn't have room for a margin of error. And as, as Ali said at the time and became a bit of our mantra, failure wasn't an option. And so we, we kept our focus very narrow. I think what I've learned in time is that it's by adding that third leg that not only do you bring more meaning to your work, which helps you get through the tough times, it's an incredible source of motivation, inspiration, and energy, but it can help you build an even stronger business. And that was one of those things where I just, we didn't have the confidence or the conviction then to see that. And it's only through the experiences we've had since that that has become clear to us.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's really relevant to today's business owners um, in particular, and we'll talk about that soon. But what's fascinating about your answer is that you actually did get a do-over on that, right? Um, Tell me where the idea for Mod Pizza came from and what made starting the business imperative for you.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. Allie and I have always been very entrepreneurial. And after uh, the Seattle Coffee Company experience, we'd grown up in Seattle. We had two boys at the time. We really wanted to get home to raise our family here to be with our extended family. Uh, we moved back to Seattle, had two more boys. So we were raising four boys. And <laughs> um, we wanted to find a way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. Um, but we wanted to find a way to 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 give back and be um, to, to provide a more um, balance to our lives. And we, we were at that stage of thinking about how can we make a a more significant impact into our community and into society. And we tried a lot of different ways, um, joining nonprofit boards, writing checks, sharing luncheons, you know, doing the normal things. And what we realized was, okay, we were okay at that. We didn't have any special strengths there. And two, they didn't feel very sustainable. You would, you would write a check and it would kind of end. And, and we, we were yearning for an ability to make a more enduring significant impact. And then meanwhile, we were still entrepreneurs and we were looking at ways to engage professionally. And we had stayed away from anything to do with restaurants or multi-unit retailing because we had had two experiences there. They'd both been fun and successful. And that's a fickle industry. And we just thought that if we tried it a third time, we would probably screw it up. And we would taint this amazing set of memories. And so we didn't engage in that industry, which in hindsight, was a mistake. But then over time, we had a lot of ideas and opportunities presented to us. And we finally were intrigued enough with one idea, which is this idea of trying to modernize and and, um, uh, change the pizza industry. And that engaged us in a way where we started to bring together these various components of our life at the time. And we said we think we can actually do something really interesting in the restaurant industry in pizza. It's an industry that had had a shocking lack of innovation for 30 years, whereas the restaurant industry itself was innovating dramatically. Pizza's the second largest category in in restaurants, and it was a laggard, and we thought, well, what happens if we bring the fast casual service model to pizza? Um, It's a successful model because it really addresses the needs of people's lifestyles in today's world. And so we thought let's explore this we opened one store like we had with seattle coffee company as a laboratory just to test and learn and explore and that led to opening three more like we did with seattle coffee company we tested and learned a lot more and every step of the way we just became more convicted that there was a great opportunity here from a business perspective and at that time we started to lean in and say okay ali said this at the time the last thing the world needs is another soulless restaurant chain. So if we're going to do this, how are we going to embed it with meaning and purpose that would make us committing to another startup, which building a startup is hard work. And it's, it's uh, it takes an incredible amount of time and passion and resource and energy and raising a young family. There are trade-offs. And and so we knew if we're going to do this, it had to mean something to us. And uh, this was when we were also exploring how to give back and how to make an impact in our community and society. And it all kind of came together where we said, we've done this before, we know how to build a business. If we did build a business, and we had a mod pizza in communities across the United States, we would have this incredible platform from which we could make a difference. So that's when we started to explore what would that difference look like? How would it come to life? We knew we wanted to focus on our people and through them into the communities. And so we started bringing some people in and said, this is our vision, help us bring it to life. And that's back to the previous comment. That's where we discovered that bringing people in and providing opportunities to those who otherwise have barriers to employment um, and giving opportunities to people, whether or not they've been in prison or they've, they've been in rehab or they're single mothers or they're young adults who are out of school and out of work, who if they don't, if they aren't given an opportunity, if they aren't given a sense of community and belonging and purpose, they may well end up in prison. Uh, to people with intellectual and development dis- disabilities. There are so many populations out there that just need an opportunity and they need community. And we felt we could give that to them. And through that, build a business of employees that are passionate and committed to what we were doing, understood that this was about more than pizza. And as a result of that, bring a sense of commitment that will lead to an experience in our stores that hopefully will bring customers back, which leads to a successful business, which allows us to grow and allows us to extend and deepen our impact. And it's what we call the mod flywheel, starting with our purpose, which is about making a difference in people's lives um, that inspires and engages our team, which hopefully inspires and engages our customers, which leads to a successful business, which funds the purpose, which You get that flywheel turning. That's what we felt we could do so that when we leave and we're no longer involved because it's not about us, this will carry on and make an ongoing impact in communities and society generally long beyond when we're involved. That's what got us excited. And that's what led us to saying, let's go for this. Let's invest the time, energy, resource, and make the sacrifices necessary to bring this to life because if this existed, it would be worth it.
1: When we come back, I'll talk to Scott about how to apply a company's mission to the hiring process. But first, a quick break.
0: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place.
1: so how do you um, how does the hiring uh, mission work uh, when you're actually implementing it is it is it a matter of policy company policy or how do you um, make sure that that is a priority for every store
0: yeah so part of our culture we have some interesting components to our culture that that um, have a big impact on how it comes to life we talk about the fact that mod is what you make it and mod is what we make it we we want to provide a platform and we want to one of our cultural norms is um, wide boulevards and high curbs. So we want to make sure everybody understands we're heading north and the north for us is we're going to use this platform to make a positive impact in society. Um, And we're going to do it through our people. If you're a general manager, you have a store, you have an incredible amount of latitude to bring that to life in a way that's meaningful to you. This is how actually our culture is, is continued to, and our purpose has continued to expand and deepen. As an example, um, some team members are really passionate about second chances for people that have been incarcerated. And so we have built a network of community partners around the country, we we help our GMs tap into those, and that can be a a source of real gratification and focus. Others have focused on opportunity youth. The five million youth in our country who are not in school and not employed, um, who are at risk, Others are focused on people with uh, IDD, intellectual and development disabilities. Our focus on people with IDD was not something where Ali and I were sitting around saying, wouldn't this be a great community to focus on? It was a general manager who given this platform and these wide boulevards and high curbs said, I want to lean into this organization in my community that supports people with IDD and I want to give them jobs. And he made it his own mission to use our business as his platform what happened was that was so successful and other gms saw it it started to blossom um, and that's the way our purpose has come to life in a very authentic uh and and an organic way um, and that's the way that we're continuing to pursue it so if you're a general manager here you have a platform or a stage and you get to decide how you want to lean into it we have plenty of support in the organization if you want to lean into different populations or by the way Um, Only about 40% of our total population are people who we would consider impact hires, um, opportunity hires. Um, The balance are just people from the community who need a job. They have had an exposure to someone that they would have never gotten to know in their normal daily life. And it has opened their minds to, to the empathy and compassion around the journey that these people have had. And they have been able to learn an incredible amount From working with people from different backgrounds. And so that's another piece to this, this overall uh, journey for us is, is making sure that we're being incredibly accepting um, and, and uh, giving uh, people from diverse backgrounds opportunities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask about that because it seems, um, first off that it's such a challenge and it's something that, that, so many business owners are are actually confronting today. They're actually asking that question, finally, perhaps, um, for many of them, you know, how do we address diversity on our staff? How do we do we build this as part of our policy? Do we put a mandate in place? And it sounds like you've been able to get 40 percent impact hires without actually having like a mandate. Is that right?
0: That's right. I mean, one of the things that we're doing now is we realize that we have been very unstructured today it's been organic, it's been authentic. One of the things we've realized is that we could do a better job for some of these hires. So if you're a, an individual who's been in incarceration and you transition out of incarceration and now you're getting back into the workforce, your needs and your, your experiences are different from somebody who's just come out of recovery or someone who's been homeless. Um, and we need to do a better job of supporting you on your journey so that as you progress, Um, we're there to support you. And so we are putting in place, and we actually have a hire right now, um, um, we're hiring someone to come in as our VP of social impact to take some NACI programs that we're developing and really build those out so that we can say, if you're someone who we call a second chance hire, someone who's come out of um, uh, the justice system, that we understand that you have unique experiences and needs, and we have a program to support you through it. So we can be an incredibly positive supporter, uh, employer for you, so that you're gonna have the best chances of being your best self. Similarly, if you've been homeless, if you are in that opportunity youth population, if you have IDD, we know we can get better at supporting those employers. So we're gonna continue to offer our general managers an incredible amount of latitude of bringing the purpose to life in their store in an authentic way that matters to them, but we are then going to put in place rigorous and thoughtful programs to support those individuals so that they can be more successful. Um, one of the things, for instance, we found is that we would bring um, second chance hires in, and they would have an incredible experience at MOD for two years. And then we were finding that they were, some of them were dropping off. And it's because of the elements of their journey, we started to realize there was a pattern. And so we, we knew we could step in to help them so that they could be even more successful and so there's a there's a tension in our so we talk about the fact that there's all there's always a tension in a a culture like ours we want to have some discipline and we want to have some process but we want to balance it with a lot of empowerment and a lot of um, uh, latitude for the people who are running our business every day which are really our general managers
1: yeah, that's interesting. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that tension because that certainly exists um in a lot of businesses um, that are trying trying something difficult, right? And you have to you have to somehow be comfortable with that difficult thing and with knowing that you don't know everything and knowing that you are learning as you go um. So how, how do you kind of embrace that culturally? And, and can you empower other people, say, you know, a franchisee or um, or a general manager who's never done that before? You know, how do you empower them?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's something we talk a lot about. Um, we embrace the power of and um, but it does mean that you have to uh, accept that there's ambiguity and there's sometimes confusion. So, for instance, there is a tension between profit and purpose because those two things sometimes compete with one another. And and what we talk about is there's a power in and, profit and purpose, but we have to embrace the fact that if you wanted to just focus on profit, you would cut out a lot of the things we do to support our purpose. But if you really look at it holistically, it's because of our purpose that we are going to engage and inspire a community of people who want to be a part of this. And they're going to put their heart and soul into it. And they're going to deliver an experience that's going to engage our customers over time as our customers come to understand we are a lot more than just a pizza place. We have a, we have words that we paint in some of our stores that says this is not a pizza place just to provoke people to understand that there's something more going on. But if we share that with them, I think customers will come over time. And I think this is part of what's happening in society. They want to back brands that are about more than just a product or profit that will lead to a more successful business. And that will allow us to have the resources to grow and to hire more people and to make a bigger impact. So there is a power of and, but in the moment, sometimes there's a tension. We could cut our labor costs and be more profitable if we were gonna compromise on our purpose. Similarly, we talk about acceptance and second chances, but we also talk about the fact that performance counts and your intentions or your Your beliefs only get you so far. And what we say is, listen, if you intend to get to work on time, but you never show up on work on time, that doesn't work. So you have to back up your intentions and your beliefs with action. And that's why performance counts. And there's a tension there, which is, you know, and we have to manage this. Early in our life, we said, we're about second chances. And what would happen is that if we weren't clear with people, they would say, They would show up late to work and and they would say, yeah, but we're all about second chances. and We have to clarify, there is a point at which performance counts. And if you aren't prepared to show up and to make that commitment, then this is not the place for you.
1: How do you as a company deal with politics and, and communications about them? Um, it's it's it becomes tricky when you have a social mission um, and a purpose. And that sort of bleeds into the political at times, say, with uh, Black Lives Matter protests um, when that was that what that is and was going on. Um, how do you communicate with your your shareholders, your managers, and your employees um, when, you know, things can differ from location to location and get political at times? Yeah.
0: So it's a, it's a great question. It's very timely. This is something we're talking a lot about now. And we talk about the fact that we are not intending to take a political stance. We're not a political organization. We're not a political movement. We are a social movement. Now, There is an ambiguity in that just like the other things I talked about. Um, We want to take a stand on social issues. We want to have a point of view on social issues, but we do not want to take a stand or have a point of view on political issues. In other words, we, during this very important, um, social justice movement that is, that is really um, risen over the last month or two, um, there was a lot of conversation about what's our position. Now, fortunately, It's been embedded in our culture since we started. We've been about acceptance and inclusion and diversity since we started. And if you walked into a mod, you would see a very diverse, you know, we we talk about be your authentic self. And if we hire you, we want to celebrate who you are. So if you have tattoos and piercings and purple hair and we hire you, we want you to bring that to work. We're not going to ask you to cover that up. And if you come to M.O.D., therefore, you're going to see a very diverse and colorful uh, uh, employment base. But we also understand that our job is not to be it is to be responsible to our beliefs, but not to provoke people. We do operate a family friendly community gathering place. So when this movement arose, we tried hard to encourage our teams not to wear provocative uh, statements or sayings. And to kind of help fill in the gap, because sometimes it's, that's ambiguous. What's provocative and what's not. We've developed a t-shirt which reads social injustice has no seat at our table. And we produced one for every squad member and we sent that out to the field. So, and we encourage people, if you want to express yourself in the store, wear that t-shirt. You can also wear other things as well, but our request of you why Boulevard's high curbs is we don't want it to be political and we don't want it to be provocative. We're not trying to create controversy in our stores. We, we want to stand behind our beliefs, but we don't want to have a conflict in the store. It's, you know, the the last thing we want to do is put our, our squad in harm's way. And in a very charged time like this, if somebody wears a provocative message on a hat or a t-shirt, um, you may well be inviting an uncomfortable confrontation with somebody who in today's environment is looking for a confrontation. And so we're, we're trying to balance a strong social point of view with keeping our squad safe and trying to be a force for good. We want to have a voice, but we want that voice to be a part of the solution and not a, a, part, not a, a source of conflict.
1: Fantastic. How are your stores coping? How did the business cope through this, this era of COVID-19? What happened in March and how, how did you react? How did the company react and what's, what's happened since?
0: Well, it's been a roller coaster. Let me tell you, Um, we were having a great year uh, to start the year in January and February. And then March came and everything changed dramatically. Our business um, uh, took a dramatic hit to its sales initially. Um, And we have been progressively building back ever since. I will tell you, given the fact that when um, the lockdown occurred, we had to shift from working in a support center, 200 odd team members, to all working remotely, and then pivoting our business dramatically at the same time, I will tell you the way our team showed up and the way they've executed has been um, uh, incredible. And uh, the gratitude that we have for them and the way they've showed up, is is um, enormous um but that doesn't mean there haven't been a, a lot of challenges as we built back up and we've been progressively moving back towards a level that is f- we want to get back to flat sales with last year and we still have some work to do to accomplish that um and what's happened is while there was a nice progressive return there have been some bumps in the road the um the social justice movement while in some ways, uh, I think a really positive thing for the country, um, resulted in a bunch of challenges for retailers like us. When you have curfews and you have to close restaurants, and when people are, um, uh, you know, focused on other things, our business had uh, some setbacks during that time. And then, with the with the rise in cases just recently, that's also created some headwinds. So, our team has embraced this idea. There's a, a, a Framework that Jim Collins came up with called the Stockdale paradox. And it's this idea that at difficult times like this, you have to manage the tension. Again, it's the ambiguity and tension of facing the hard, cold reality of the situation you're in and being very realistic about the challenges. And at the same time, having an unwavering faith and commitment to the future that you're going to live into, the success that you're going to have coming out of it. And, and managing those two things is incredibly important. The Stockdale Paradox was named after um, an individual who was a prisoner of war during Vietnam. He was a prisoner for seven years and he was interviewed afterwards because he came out of it and he survived it and he he was a survivor and, and they asked him what his secret to success was. And he said, he explained this, this combination of embracing the reality, but having an unwavering faith that he would be fine in the end. And they asked him, who didn't make it? And he said, the optimists. And he explained that the optimists said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. And then they would say, well, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and go. And he said, eventually, they just died of a broken heart. He said, whereas he had this idea of, I'm not... I don't know when I'm going to get out. I am going to embrace the difficult, hard, brutal facts, but I know I'm getting out. Um, And we've embraced a similar view at Mod, which is I don't know if this is going to last three months or three years. Um, I don't have any control over that. But what I do have control over is we're going to get better as a company through it. We're going to use this as an opportunity to improve our game. We're going to develop a clear vision of the company we're going to be coming out of it. And we have no doubt that we're going to come out stronger and better than before. I just don't know how long that's going to take.
1: Yes, absolutely. What advice would you have for other business owners who are struggling to stay afloat? I mean, restaurants, especially in, in New York, where I'm based, are um, so many are really struggling uh, still and will be for years if they haven't closed already. Um, both both advice for restaurateurs and also for... Anyone who's got a a mission to their business. You know, how in these troubled times, how do you, when you're financially struggling, stay true to your mission as well?
0: So, the first thing I would say is that uh, for companies that do have a strong sense of purpose, um, make sure that you're using a time like this to reinforce and double down on that purpose. It's so easy to dilute it or abandon it at times of. Um, crisis because it sometimes you just don't feel like you have the capacity or resources to do it. But I think if if a purpose is true and sincere, it can be the path out of a crisis like this, even though it might not appear that way. And, and one of the things we've talked a lot about through this crisis is it's been an opportunity for us to go back and really think about our culture. Um, one of the things that uh, we've talked a lot about is, is that quite often people think of culture as what what your beliefs are and what we've had to remind our team is Culture is not about beliefs It's only about beliefs to the extent that they inform and inspire you to act in a certain way Because ultimately your culture is about how you act what you do Not what you believe Hopefully what you believe is what you do and that's that, that creates an incredibly strong culture but, but what, what informs or what creates the culture of an organization is your actions and how you behave and how you show up. And so we talk a lot about, in today's world, our culture in action, meaning what decisions are we making? How are we putting these very hard decisions through the lens of our beliefs and our values? And are we being true to those things? Are we using this as an opportunity to strengthen and, and double down on them? Um, and so that's been... That's been an incredibly gratifying exercise, and and it's reminded me that prior to this, I wasn't doing a very good job as a leader, bringing people back to the foundational elements of why are we here, what do we believe, and how does that translate into our actions? And this crisis has forced us back to those foundational things, and it's been incredibly powerful for the team.
1: Well, thank you so much, Scott, for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Talking with Scott, what I found so impressive was not just that he was driven to start his company by the mission they'd set forth, but that he's still so personally fired up by providing employment to disadvantaged communities and differently abled people. His very mission is what's motivating his leadership during this crisis. The pandemic ground his entire operation to a halt overnight, and now it's struggling to build back sales. He admitted it's hard. He even admitted that the Black Lives Matter movement, which he supports, took a toll on business. But I love that he said, well, you can't be an unconditional optimist and run a business through crisis. You can have, quote, unwavering faith and commitment to the future that you're going to live into, the success that you're going to have coming out of it. Managing those two things is incredibly important. He calls it managing the tension which I think is really smart. And that's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. We'd love it if you could please subscribe to What I Know wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a friend interested in startups, entrepreneurship, or evolving as a leader, we'd love it if you could recommend us to them. Also, it's truly helpful if you could leave us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes two seconds, and it helps other people who would love this podcast find us. You can also drop us a note anytime at whatiknowatinc.com. Let us know about your mission and how you stay true to it. Also, what entrepreneurial skill do you want to hear about more in depth on this show? You can also let me know on Twitter at Ligorio. Our producer, whose mod order is a barbecue sauce pizza with olives, cilantro, and gorgonzola, is Joshua Christensen. I'm Christine ligorio Chafkin, and I'm not at all joking when I say I will take all of the artichokes and anchovies. Thank you for listening to What I Know.